This one's a request from a veteran who'd rather I not use his name. But he asked me to do an episode on something that isn't a story yet. For now, it's a feeling. Something's changed. He said, I have to understand that the military doesn't just help people get an education. It gives them a purpose, a culture, and a family. Even when a soldier's service is over, that feeling of family remains. It's a salvation for many people. But there's something new now. Lots and lots of veterans supported Donald Trump. Two-thirds, if you believe CNN's exit polls. And President Trump stands for something. He wants to deport undocumented immigrants, keep out Muslim refugees, and strengthen police powers, among other things. And all of that disproportionately affects people of color, which bothers a lot of people of color. So you can see how some veterans of color may be dealing with some new feelings about their military families. I told the veteran who made this request that maybe we should wait until something happens, until there's something we can point to and say, there are the new divisions rising within the veteran community. But he made a really good argument that everyone waits and otherhood can be a place where we don't wait and where we instead recognize feelings as important. And I get that. My whole world is built on feelings. And sometimes I sit with them for a long time before I understand what they mean. And that can get lonely. So in this episode, we explore the story of one veteran who caught my attention the day Donald Trump became president. I'm Rupa Shinoy, and this is Otherhood. The night of Donald Trump's inauguration, there were big fancy balls all across D.C., Elegantly dressed people navigated around thousands of protesters to get from party to party. One of the biggest bashes was at a veterans ball at an old hotel a block away from the White House. Listen up, hold down the noise. Spirits were high as the MCs started the night's program. Tonight wouldn't be possible without the efforts of so many, but one woman in particular really moved mountains to make this event happen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the chairwoman of the Vetties and the CEO of the Academy of the United States Veterans, Asal Rivandi. Please come up, Asal. The glamorous woman who walks on stage in a sparkly black gown has a Middle Eastern name and features. From the video, you can't tell if that surprises anyone in the audience. You all look so beautiful tonight. Tonight, I am exactly where I want to be, witnessing a historic event Regardless of your political persuasion, surrounded by my brothers and sisters, my fellow veterans, my path here has been a little different than most my fellow veterans. I was kind of saved by the land of the free because I'm originally not from here. I, oh, the hell with the speech. Oh, it's so difficult. So I've been all over the world and I've seen so many, many, many different types of people. From all walks of life, they come together, our nation's veterans, in one armed forces, and they fight for a great cause, and that's where I found my salvation. And that is why I met, made the veterans' cause to be my cause. She said, salvation. That's a strong word. But it's what she meant. A 
Asal grew up during the Iran-Iraq War, and her childhood was full of rockets, bombs, sirens, alarms, and fear. Her family got out when she was 13, but her father died in a plane crash before they moved to the States. Asal, her mom, and her brother arrived as refugees without him. They settled in San Antonio, Texas, and Asal resolutely put violence and tragedy behind her. There were no other Iranians around, so she focused on just being American. I didn't have the ties of a Middle Eastern culture pulling me back. So the process of learning was expedited. I talk to my colleagues and friends now as an adult, and they talk about their high school horror stories, you know, as Americans, that high school was difficult for them. And even though I was a foreigner and I came from another place, I don't even have those stories. She was working in PR in L.A. in her 20s when she was inspired by Barack Obama's message that we can be very different from each other with different races and religions, but we're all American. I wanted to work for him, so I thought this was my chance to be able to contribute. She decided to enlist. Some friends thought she was crazy, but her mom was proud and supportive. So at first, when you first start thinking about it, you get that whole G.I. Jane kind of thing in you. <laughs> and you think that that's what's going to happen, that you're going to be this, this this tough girl who's going to go out there and beat all the guys. and uh, But... That ain't so. <laughs> yeah, she got cold feet before she got to basic training. I remember just standing in this hotel with all of these soldiers, or about to be, who were so much younger than me, and majority of them were men. And I looked at a couple of my friends and family members that were with me, and I said, oh my God, what did I do? So at that point, there was no going back, and I had to get on that bus. She was afraid she wouldn't be as fast or strong as her fellow soldiers. And I was right. A few weeks into training, she left her gun on her bunk. Her drill sergeant found it and made Assal's company do sit-ups and push-ups for an hour. Then the sergeant assigned Assal an essay. A 20-page essay about safeguarding your safe, sensitive item. And I had to do it on my own time. So every chance I would get at night, she gave me three days, I would just write and write and write. And you have to imagine, you have no library or computer, you have no point of reference, you just have to write with a pen and paper. And finally, I finished the 20-page paper and I handed it to her and she grabbed it from my hand and she threw it in the trash. And she said, your opinion doesn't matter. I remember that was my breaking point that night. I went back to my bunk and I cried. Asal says she learned that her opinion didn't matter. Only the mission mattered. She built herself up from there. She got strong and learned to keep up. It was an incredible time of change for the U.S. military. Obama had abolished don't ask, don't tell. The government had expanded combat rules for women. And of course, the U.S. was at war in Afghanistan. Asal was the only woman in her battalion. They all arrived one day in 2012. I could still see snow on the mountains, but the air was very easy, very clear. You could kind of breathe it in comfortably. And everybody was just, you know, getting in lines, trying to get briefed. And towards the end of the day, right before sunset, I got really emotional. And it was more 
about the people that we were about to meet. I had left that world once before when we left Iran. So it was all coming back to me that in this beautiful, as I was looking at the mountains of Afghanistan, that in this beautiful country where it could be a ski resort, it could be a place for vacation, there's a kid on a mountain who's running from or towards something. And at the end, he may make it or may not make it. And I remember calling my mom on, on Skype and showing her the mountains. And I told her, he said, look at this beautiful country and all its mountains is filled with blood. And I think that's where, that's where all the memories just started on that day. Everything she had tried to put behind her came back. The Afghan people felt familiar, and she was the only one who could talk to them in her battalion. She'd sit in homes and talk to women about their health, their family, and their village. And if I was there long enough, then we would talk about just being a woman and what it's like for them to be one and what it was like for me to be one. Asal trained for higher security clearance. She became an intelligence specialist. Eventually, she was leading and training other soldiers in language. I was a low-ranking service member who was doing the job of someone who was three or four ranks above her. So I had to live up to that expectation every day. And that was the difficult part. She felt like other soldiers thought she had gotten ahead unfairly. I mean, I look back at it now and I say, oh, who cares that someone didn't like the fact that I was in this position. But, you know, as someone who had to work within my family, military family structure, um, it, it affected me because their opinion mattered. In the end, though, the Army lived up to Obama's promise. Assal didn't feel different anymore. She was focused. She had an important purpose. And she felt like a vital part of something larger. That unity and that diversity was everything that I needed, that I had no idea that I needed. I didn't know that structure was so important to me. And that sense of belonging was so important and vital to my growth as an individual, as a woman, as a human being. And I found that in the military, that sense of brotherhood and sisterhood and that camaraderie was everything that my existence needed at the time. And sometimes I say I don't remember who I was before I was a soldier because that defines me as a person. But after one tour of duty, she decided to leave. My commander said, so you decided not to stay. And I told him, well, sir, it doesn't get better than this. So I decided not to stay. Really, the reason was medical problems that Assal doesn't want to talk about. But she says they would have disqualified her from service. So even if I had decided to stay, I was probably going to be pushed out. So she re-entered the freedom and chaos of public life, where you have to find your own purpose. Unfortunately, grad school in D.C. was something of a letdown after Afghanistan. I felt I had no idea what I was doing, and I was unfamiliar with the society in which I had just entered. I didn't know who these people were. I couldn't talk to anyone more than five or ten minutes, and I wanted to go back and go on to go back to my unit. <laughs> VA doctors put her on antidepressants. 
nothing was really helping. I started to feel really lonely and all I wanted to do was deploy. I kept talking about deployment. I couldn't stop talking about deployment. She was in a deep hole. I asked her how she got out of it. Um, I don't think I'm out of it. <laughs> I think I have learned to maintain it. I don't think it ever, you ever f come out of it. And not for me, at least. Asal found refuge with fellow veterans. There was that same feeling of family with them. I find that, that I am more comfortable, more centered and grounded when they're around. She wanted to start something new, but there were already a lot of veterans organizations out there. And some of them, we have no idea what they're doing. And some other ones who are grinding and working their hearts out are invisible in the eyes of our communities because they're about the mission. They're not about the PR. They're not about the marketing, nor they can't afford it. So we decided to become the PR firm for veteran service organizations. Her private company, the Academy of U.S. Veterans, partners with nonprofits to put on fundraisers and then splits the proceeds. The Academy also organizes an annual awards dinner called the Vetties. This year, they combined that awards dinner with a huge inaugural gala. Asal spent months planning the elaborate ball without knowing who she was planning it for, but she voted for Clinton. First, I'm a soldier, and then I am anything else. So as a service member and as a veteran, I will serve any president that America elects. It was one of the most glamorous, most talked about presidential balls held in Washington, D.C. that night. We would have done the same if Hillary got elected. And here's where we return to our beginning. Asal, standing on stage, addressing her fellow veterans the night of the ball. I was born in Iran, and I was born in the middle of a revolution that has left the country in a state of despair for over three decades. By telling the audience that story, Asal hoped to make a statement. I wanted to send a message that people like me cannot be overlooked. And the immigrant that we ban today from crossing our borders could be a public servant, a civic servant, or an influential member of our American community tomorrow. And we need to make sure that we safeguard those opportunities by making the right choices. That's how Asal navigated being true to herself and the military community she sees as family on the first night of Donald Trump's presidency. It didn't stay that simple for long. One week later, Trump announced his first travel ban on people from, back then, seven Muslim-majority nations. On Facebook, Asal wrote that she was worried she was going on vacation to Central America and she didn't know if she'd be let back in. She wrote, if they don't let me back in, where'd they like me to go? Dozens of people posted messages of support. Some pointed out that Asal's a citizen, so she shouldn't worry. But she was saying that Trump's new policy is flawed. It is not a logical structure when it comes to safeguarding our national security or our borders. We should be judged based on our actions and not based on our background. Asal thinks the people who voted for Trump, including veterans, were really voting against Hillary Clinton, and they don't necessarily support all the things Trump says. 
But do you feel like you have to be careful now of what you say around other veterans? Well, the good thing is that my fellow veterans put me as their fellow vet first before their political views. Actually, yes, I have to be delicate because we are working with so many different groups of people and I have to be cautious of how I express my opinion with respect to human rights, civil rights. But when it comes to the veterans community, they have been very open-minded and I have been well-received as someone who may have a different opinion than they do. So you can separate your personal views on Trump policies from how you feel about friends who are veterans and veterans you work with. The, the, the truth is this. At some point in life, you have to stand for something. At the end of the day, if I don't have the support of my community because of my political or social views, I will take my education, all courtesies of United States Army, and I will move on and I will create something new. That is bittersweet because you're right. There is a great possibility that supporters who join us as partners, as donors to our VSOs, who may look at my political and social views and say, no, I no longer wish to support that organization. But our cause, there's so much of it to go around. And yes, I do battle with the way and how much I, I express my my views, but my sense of conviction will not falter. So you're right, I do have some conflicted feelings about how I'm going to coexist with my fellow veterans, but I am hopeful that with respect to our common enterprise, which is to help those who raise their right hand to serve this country, we will always be successful regardless of our views and regardless of how we are viewed. Asal says she's never been so unsure of the future. She has no idea which way things may go. For now, though, she's gotten past an immediate fear. She went to Costa Rica for a vacation and came back, and went to Europe and came back, and TSA agents never stopped her. So I guess, I guess I'm an American. <laughs> When we look back on this time in the future, I think Donald Trump's presidency will seem like a bomb that went off, sending history in new directions. In 10 years, we'll look at how the debris from the bomb blast settled and we'll be like, yeah, of course that's what happened. But right now, we're still in the moment just after the bomb went off, when the debris is still in the air. I think that's what the veteran who requested this episode had in mind when he asked me to do it. Right now, like a Saul, He's still working through his feelings. He's still hopeful that what he loves about his military family won't change. But how will he and Asal deal with having to walk this line for the next four years? Let me know what you think and make your requests for episodes. Tweet me at Rupa Shinoy or find Otherhood on Facebook. Or you can always call the Otherhood hotline and leave a message, and I'll include it in the next episode. That number is 802-526-4763. Wow, I did that really fast, sorry. One more time, slowly. 802-526-4763.
thanks to William Forever for nudging me on Twitter to credit Otherhood's music. Most of it is by the band Blue Dot Sessions. While we're at it, I'll also credit Otherhood's producer, Catherine Whalen. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been Otherhood from PRI. <laughs> <laughs>